a forest in order to be alive and breathing needs to have diversity. And those are the lessons that we can learn from our Earth as well, to say, okay, these standing nations that are around me, these trees, look at how they thrive when they're well, when they're healthy. It's when they have that diversity. And we as human beings need to have that diversity as well. We need to understand that our survival and our health depend upon our diversity. You're listening to Heart of Mind Radio for the New Millennium. I'm Katherine Davis, and my guest is Shannon Crossbear. Shannon is a beautiful, powerful, spiritual Ojibwe Irish woman who articulates her purpose as both demonstrating and promoting gentle healing. She expresses her commitment to healing through her work in the world, through her business, Strong Heart Resource Development. That work has included facilitating and consulting with the National Indian Child Welfare Association, the Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health, Georgetown University, the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, and participating in the Surgeon General's Conference on Children's Mental Health. Shannon has worked with tribal and non-tribal communities in creating systems of care and circles of care, utilizing traditional intervention and promotion of culturally congruent practices. Shannon Crossbear is a skilled storyteller and educator who cements her commitment to improving conditions for future generations through her activities with protecting the fresh water sources, honoring the circle. She is co-director of an International Children's Month and an active participant in the WE campaign. She is and has been a columnist, and has written and produced several short plays. So I want to welcome you, Shannon, to this program. I really want to let people know and to have a deeper understanding of your work. So can we start by speaking about yourself and the way that you bring this connection of Native American as well as Irish traditions with the work that you're bringing into the world today? Wow, that's a really big question. <laughs> um, and uh, thanks, Catherine, and, and welcome everybody who may be listening. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that we're at a time where that connection to that indigenous knowledge is really accelerating in the world and needed at this time. The understanding of a world view in which we see the world in a relational way. And so I think our indigenous communities, dependent upon how long they have been colonized, have opportunities to kind of go back and reclaim that. And it's important because we need all of that at our disposal as we move forward in our leadership for what comes next for the world. And so when you ask me how does that 
get expressed in the work that I do. I think it gets expressed differently. I'm actually, depending on the time and the need, and it seems to be all part of the same message of we need to be present, we need to do all of the things that we do, that we collectively can do to bring us into the next story that is being told about the earth and its evolution. Excellent. And if you were speaking to someone who didn't really have a grasp of some of these ideas, can you tell us how this way of being indigenous, aboriginal, connected to the earth, how can people begin to adopt some of these ideas and understand that connection of life and our planet? You know, I think it really is about relationship. We care about the things that we're in relationship with, whether it be our family, our loved ones, our children, our pets, our the things that we have a relationship with, we care about. And so the first place is to develop a relationship with the earth. And that can be as simple as spending some time in nature, right? We know how healing that is and has been. But it's also healing for nature itself. So I happen to be very blessed by the fact that I live in the middle of the boreal forest in northernmost Minnesota on the largest freshwater source on this continent, which is Lake Superior. And I'm literally just a few feet from the big lake. And that's an opportunity that I have. I, you know, I must have, I'm on a little, not a big, I'm a steward of a property that's about three and maybe three and a half acres, which has literally hundreds and hundreds of trees on it. And those trees are a rich boreal forest, meaning that it's not all pine, it's not all birch, it's not all spruce, that it really is the way that a forest should be. And a forest, in order to be alive and breathing, needs to have diversity. And those are the lessons that we can learn from our earth as well to say, okay, these standing nations that are around me, these trees, look at how they thrive when they're well, when they're healthy. It's when they have that diversity, right? And we as human beings need to have that diversity as well. We need to understand that our survival and our health depend upon our diversity. And so that's a kind of a societal shift and change that we're in the process of making and understanding. Excellent. And I think that we all have some kind of natural environment around us. I live in Brooklyn, so my natural environment is a park, but I can still, and everyone can still be concerned about the health of their natural environment and the health of their water resources. Because in New York City, not so much recently, but there was a lot of activism around protecting the watershed of not allowing manufacturing and building and all kinds of plants to be put side by side with our drinking water. And it's always an ongoing fight. But what are some of the things that you see needs to be done with regard to protecting the earth, the drinking water, the groundwaters, and things like that? First and foremost, we have to stop the drilling. And we have to stop as much as possible of fossil fuels. This has poisoned our watersheds. It continues to do that. 
And at the same time, we need to be able to identify and create and support clean water sources. So whether it's in the Midwest where you have chemicals through corporate agricultural practices that have leaked into the earth and created damage in that way, whether you have in larger cities filtration systems for the water that weren't able to take out certain particulates and pharmaceuticals when they say it's in the water, that is not an abstract comment. That is a scientific fact that there are particulates in the water for mood-altering chemicals as people flush their medicines down the toilet and the filtration systems were not prepared or down the sink or wherever. They, they were not prepared to take care of that. So it's very important that we begin to understand that from a different kind of construct or relational view, I would say water is, well, water is life. We know that we're a water planet. We ourselves are made up of 70% water in our bodies and 80% in our minds. If we are not taking care of the water, you know, the outcome for this planet is, um, yeah, is not good. So, and again, it's a relationship with the water. It can start out as simply as being conscious for people. As you build relationships and determine that maybe you want to be a good relative, then you learn more and you do more. So, but it also involves on every level. I mean, politically, we have to make sure that we are supporting practices. There needs to be climate justice. There's all kinds of avenues by which we will shift the way our relationship with the earth. And I see also that you have a very deep commitment to work to help children. I would love for you to speak to what's really needed by the children, certainly of indigenous families, but probably applies to children in many communities, especially in the United States. I would like to see eventually, this is, you know, my, what are we looking at going forward, right? How can we learn from the past, reclaim those things that were really good, solid practices, and for ourselves as indigenous people, but also going forward as part of what we would call mending the sacred hoop of humanity. That basically things like, we'll just take it from, there were ceremonies, and maybe they would get expressed differently depending upon your culture, your beliefs, the way that you wanted to manifest that or articulate it in the world. But they, you know, basic things like there's a ceremony called welcoming in the womb ceremony. So the very point at which someone knew that a new child was coming, there was a ceremony to encourage that child to keep that mother safe. And in today's world, that would mean when we find out that there's a new life coming, we have a way of acknowledging that. And I don't mean a baby shower. I'm talking about acknowledging that and supporting the mother to the point of making sure, like in our traditional ways, it was don't have her around bad things and you know, make sure that she's safe and that she's cared for and has the nutrition she needs and all of those kinds of things as this child is growing. And today's world, it would be make sure that that mother is not exposed to drugs and alcohol. Make sure that that mother has the support system in place and doing all, so right from the start. And then the next thing that happens is there's a ceremony called the transfer of character ceremony. I guess maybe if in, in another culture, another religious or spiritual practice, it might be, you know, a godmother, godfather, that kind of thing, a 
sponsor, whatever, but it just, it really is an opportunity for someone to step in and the transfer for character is finding the individual whose characters and attributes are such that you would like that child to emulate, right? And that was a ceremony. And then there was a ceremony, there's a Navajo ceremony for the first laugh. So there were times where we acknowledged these very important things about coming into this world as a human being and then continuing on. And I think those practices for our children really need to be reclaimed. Coming of age ceremonies. The coming of age ceremony from a Western construct right now in the United States is is what? It's getting your driver's license, uh, being able to have sex legally, and drinking, right? And joining the service, being able to go to war. So I'm not saying that we get rid of those, but what I am saying is, what would it look like if we really reinstituted, and we've done this in some of our communities, our coming-of-age ceremonies? What would happen if in the coming-of-age ceremonies acknowledged these very important transitional times in our life and, and gave people support in that? You know, when we brought back our young coming-of-age young women's ceremonies, you know, what we see is a reduction in teen pregnancy. What we see is young women who make choices different than they might have made because they've had the time to contemplate and know what does it mean to now be able to, to give life? What does it mean now to step into my role as a giver and nurturer of life? right? Both physical life, but life in all its different forms. So those kinds of things, I think, our youth are really at a time they are so amazingly ready, right, for for the world that's coming. And we have an opportunity to support and nurture that. So I believe in our young people. I think what they're doing in terms of the climate, in terms of their voice, in terms of the direction that they're taking are definitely going to bring us to a good place. Mm -hmm. And I want to support that. Excellent. And if you had or have, it seems that you would have an opportunity to speak to young people who are already in some ways estranged from either their families, their parents, or school, or the adult world in general, even though some of them may be old enough to be considered adults. Very often I see young people struggling to get a foothold and falling prey to some of the self-destructive behaviors, as you spoke of, that can destroy years of their life, really. What would you say to a young person that they could begin to do for themselves that might help them get back on strong footing with regard to having that deep sense of self and cultural connection to their roots, whatever they might be? I think that's the role that elders can play, um, one of the roles that elders can play, and that is to find an elder, but also to know somewhere that you belong. Every one of us belongs, right? And that I see a lot of times with young people, is they search for a sense of belonging that can either be positive or negative, right? So find that sense of belonging and understand that there's a purpose for you. And that's the other thing that happens with coming-of-age ceremonies, I think, can be so helpful, and that is to really grasp your sense of purpose on this earth walk, right? So what is your purpose? And that it, there are opportunities to find those connections, and they can be through a, whatever you're called, you know, where to, whether it's a faith-based, whether it's a spiritual 
practice, whether it's coming home to a community or finding a community. And I would also say if all of that doesn't work, then create one because we live in community and that's really critical. And to be kind. We know now about the science of kindness, not just some elusive kind of feel-good thing, that there is science behind what works, whether we're bringing people back from a sense of aloneness that expresses itself through addiction, for example, or through maybe participating in practices or groups such as negative games or participating in life in a way that is really setting oneself up against others, such as those young people that are drawn into racist groups. All of those are opportunities, and when you look at each one of those, whether it be the gang, whether it be a skinhead, whether it be all of them, what is it that they offer? They offer a sense of belonging, right? So finding a sense of belonging in ways that really support life and our life-sustaining and understanding how we can all contribute to that, I think it's a call not just for young people, It's a call for us as elders or however you want to, the older generation that is no longer child-rearing ages, to really participate in a way that really says we have a responsibility as well. Yes, I think that we all have to understand, no matter what, that we have relationship with the young people on this planet and can be honorary aunties and uncles and grandparents to children who may need that mentorship from us and when we have the opportunity to do something with that and to seek it out. So I also want to talk about the International Children's Month. You're a co-director of this, as well as being an active participant in the WE campaign. Can you speak of the work that you're doing for Children's Month and the work that you're doing at the WE campaign, I presume with regard to some of the things we've already discussed? Sure. The International Children's Month and uh, it's just been a really wonderful opportunity to really be able to have a platform to help connect these young people who are in the world and to celebrate them. So International Children's Month every year has had a theme, right? And that theme, there's been a variety of different themes throughout the different years, right? And it really is about International Children's Campaign has always been about how we support our children and how we are really allowing our children to also at the same time guide us and tell us what the world is going to look like. And we've had lots of folks that have been involved in that in terms of the climate issues and really looking out. I'll tell you a little bit of the story, because that's really been my role with International Children's Month, has really been the storyteller. And we've started this year, it's International Children Love the Miracle, because we believe that we're in the middle of the miracle. It's time. Things are changing. They have uh, really shifted in terms of what our focus is and what we need to do, but we're in the middle of a miracle and it gets messy and the children are making it happen. I mean, it is a miracle to have children who are now able to communicate across worlds, across 
continent to be able to come together and say, hey, we're in this together. We have to do something because the world that we want is not the world that's being taken care of, right? And so that's a miracle. We're in the middle of it. (laughs) The WE campaign is really about WE and unity and the whole idea of WE collectively can do what I cannot. So thinking about all these great opportunities that are out in the world that tell us that we're kind of collectively waking up, waking up to the reality that the way that we've been doing things up to now no longer serves us. And we have to be moving into a new time, a new time of the collective, of understanding our relationship to each other as human beings, but beyond that, our relationship to all of life, to the earth, to what I would call the four-legged and the winged ones and the swimmers and the crawlers and all of life. And to say, what is our relationship really and how do we value that and how do we support that? So the WE campaign has found all kinds of things that they're doing, whether that gets expressed through the caravan uh, for unity or whether it gets expressed through music and art and all the different ways that people are expressing that. For my little part of the world, one of the ways that I'm expressing that is to participate with, I have a story wagon, a little caravan of creation, I call it, to both tell and collect stories about this time and about what's happening. And so that's what I'm going to be doing this summer as we begin to tell the story, as the story unfolds about where we're going from 2020 on. Well, that's excellent. And would it be too much uh, for me to ask you to tell a story that we could include with this interview? Sure. I'll tell a favorite story. Um, I really like this story. And it's the story about when things were really, really bad in a particular village. And this was happened long ago. And there was this village. And, you know, at one point in time, it had been a really thriving village. But over the years, things had gotten really out of hand. It was, and how it showed up was they used to have really nice gardens, but the gardens were all not very well tended, and they kept losing young people. Young people would leave the village and not come back, and so it was the young people that did remain were disrespectful to the elders, and you know, so they were experiencing a lot of social kinds of ills that were happening in their community. And there were a group of elders and wise people in the community and leaders, and they had all tried different various things to make a difference. You know, they had had their circles or their talking circles, which would be like focus groups in the day, and tried to figure out different avenues and strategies that they were going to use that they could use to kind of fix this ongoing problem. Otherwise, their community was, they felt, was in jeopardy of disappearing. So this group of elders, there was Growing Flower was among them, and Little Red Bear, and Proud When She Dances, and Strong Lead Wolf, and The One Whose Voice We Hear, and Granddaughter of the Moon. And so they were all part of this leaders' council, this elders' council, And they were bemoaning it. I mean, it was like it was getting desperate. They had tried everything that they could think of. And so finally, when they were meeting one night, they said, you know, the only one we haven't talked to is Good Earth Woman. And Good Earth Woman, she, 
doesn't even live in the village anymore. I mean, she lives out there. Has anybody seen her for a while, they asked? And not really, but they didn't think that she was, you know, they felt like she was still with them on the earth. And so they decided they were going to send Growing Flower and Little Red Bear and Proud When She Dances off to go see Good Earth Woman. Because the thing was that she was a medicine woman and she knew all kinds of things. And I don't know why they never thought of her before, but... She definitely was very, very wise. And so they attended to the protocol. They knew that they would bring something for a good earth woman because they were asking something of her. And it's always good to bring something if you're going to ask something of someone. The laws of reciprocity were important. And so they got a little package together with some food and some tea. And off they went to go see good earth woman. And as they found her place in the woods, they just remarked about how peaceful and serene and calm it was. And they noticed that she had a nice thriving garden there and there were a few little animals around. It just was such a nice little setting. And so they got there and Good Earth Woman welcomed them, came, had them come in. And as was the way, you never kind of really entered into the conversation right away. You just inquired about each other and wanted to make sure that everybody was comfortable and they had some tea. And then Good Earth Woman gave them permission by saying, I know that you came here to ask me some things today. I mean, nobody's visited me for a long time, so I'm making an assumption that you want something from me and what is it that you came here for? And so Growing Flower started to talk and she explaining what was happening in the village. And Good Earth Woman said, yes, yes, I'm aware of that. In fact, that's why I moved out here. It was very painful for me to watch. But I haven't had anybody come out here to visit me for my medicines or anything either. And Growing Flowers said, yes, she goes, we just thought about it. We hadn't seen you for a while. And, you know, but here's all the things that we've tried. And we, we came to you because we know that you're wise and that maybe you could tell us what will happen and how we can fix the problems that we're having. And Good Earth Woman thought about it for a while, and she said, I'm really, really sorry. There's not really anything that I can tell you. sounds like you've tried all kinds of things, and I don't really have the answer for you. But as they were leaving, and Growing Flower and Little Red Bear and Proud When She Dances all said that they would come and visit again, Good Earth Woman said something. She said, I don't have the answer, she said, but there is one among you. And that's all she would say. And so growing flower, little red bear, proud when she dances, they they all went back to the village. And, of course, everybody was there. Granddaughter of the moon and first star of the night and the strong-lived wolf and the one whose voice we hear. They all came rushing toward growing flower and little red bear and proud when she dances and said, okay, what did you learn? Because they were so desperate for an answer. And Growing Flower just sighed and she said, I'm so sorry. You know, she did not have an answer for us. Good Earth Woman, she was kind and she gave us these other medicines to bring back with us, but she did not have the answer, she said. But she said the strangest thing when we were leaving. She said, there is one among us. And, of course, everybody said, well, who is it? She said, well, she didn't know. She, she didn't say who it was. And so that was kind of the end of it. People kind of went off on their ways. But as Growing Flower was going home, she noticed Strong Lead Wolf. And she thought about it for a while. And she thought, 
you know, strong lead wolf, he's got to be the one. He's got to be the one. He's got to be the one because, look, it's even in his name. He is the leader. Strong lead wolf always leads us everywhere. That's it. He's the one. But then she began to think a little more, and she thought, yeah, well, he can get pretty vicious sometimes. So probably not. I've seen that snap of his. But on the off chance that he was the one, she determined that she was going to treat Strong Lead Wolf with extraordinary respect. The next day she was walking and she saw First Star of the Night and she thought, of course, of course, it's her. It's First Star of the Night. I don't know why I didn't. She guides us. I mean, she is, she's our North Star. She is what kind of keeps us focused. I should have known that it was First Star of the Night. And yet, First Star of the Night also had those pointy edges, you know, and so maybe it wasn't her, but on the off off chance that it was, she was going to treat First Star of the Night with extraordinary respect. And later in the day, she was walking and she saw the one whose voice we hear, and she thought, it's him, it's definitely him. The one whose voice we hear, of course, of course. He always has twice things to say. Yeah, but when he doesn't feel like he's getting listened to, he can be, you know, that voice can turn pretty loud and sharp and not helpful. And so it's probably not him. But on the off, off, off chance that it was the one whose voice we hear, she began to treat him with extraordinary respect. And... As the days went by, she went through everybody. She had found, you know, she thought proud when she dances, it's got to be her. She thought that maybe it was a turtle because some of the things that turtle did. But the same thing happened. She kept eliminating him. She had been through everybody in the village. And one night she was kind of just really beside herself because she was so disappointed that she hadn't been able to uncover, discover the one. And she was going to bed that night and she said, I've been through everybody in the village. I still, and then it dawned on her. It was like, what if it's me? What if I'm the one? Oh no, I couldn't be the one. But what if I am? And on the off, 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 off chance that it was her, she began to treat herself with extraordinary respect. They don't know when or how it happened, but pretty soon there was a shift in the way that the village was operating. The garden started to come back, and the young people were treating the elders with more respect as they treated each other with respect, and they treated themselves with respect. And this village became a thriving village once again. Good Earth Woman arrived one day for a visit, and she just said, I see you found the one. (laughs) Oh, that's a wonderful story. It's so inspiring. And I like it because we are all the one. And that's what I got from it. That's what I got. Not only are we all the one, but once we're treating ourselves that way, with that respect and care, then we can so much easier afford to treat each other that way. Absolutely. Absolutely, Catherine. 
Beautiful. So as we finish up, have we missed anything you wanted to share? Maybe you want to tell people how to connect with you or maybe how they can help you to broaden the reach of your work? You know, I think that they can get a hold of me through International Children's Month or they can reach out to me. I have an email at scrossbear at centrytel, C-E-N. T-U-R-Y-T-E-L dot net. And I have an organization called Strong Heart Resource Development. I do not have a web page for that, but if you get a hold of me, I can tell you what that is about. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed your story, first of all, but I enjoyed talking to you about all this work that you're doing. And I think... As activists, many who listen to this program who are active in the world and caring about the world, I think we have to think about our children. And when I say that as a woman who doesn't have a child, but it's really our children, the ones who are inheriting our planet, we have to keep them as part of the conversation, even if we're holding place for them as we go forward. And I thank you for doing that. Thanks, Catherine. And uh, you're right. They're all our children, right? They're all our collective human uh, future. So it is a great honor to be able to be in this time and to help create and develop the new story of where we go from here. Excellent. Excellent. 